Let's carry on tonight with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The last part of the letter is from verse 12 to the end, where Paul describes a church uh, that is Christ-like. What is our church culture to be like? Remember, we don't want to go back to the 1960s and 70s, even though there was blessing then. Uh, we don't want to go back to the 19th century, the golden age of preaching in Wales, even though some of us wouldn't mind that. We don't even want to go back to the 18th century or to the Puritans or the Reformers. We want primitive Christianity, New Testament Christianity. And as much as other periods in the history of the church help us to get back to the New Testaments we take from them. But the church is to be continually reforming, continually uh, changing to become what Christ would have us be. And Paul, in the verses we've been looking at, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13, he talks about the leadership. The church is a family, and every family must have a father, there must be leadership. Children must have parents. Not that the parents are more important than the children, but there is a function of leadership. Otherwise, it's chaos, isn't it? And so the church, we're all together. We're all brothers and sisters. But God has called some to be pastors and elders. And so we have responsibilities and you have responsibilities towards us. That's what we've looked at. So verses 12 and 13, we urge you, brethren, to recognize, to appreciate those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And there's a lovely harmony there where the leadership and the membership uh, working together. But now Paul goes on in verses 14 and 15 to talk not just about the leadership, but about the fellowship as a whole, which is what we'll look at tonight. So let's read verses 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, so that's every one of us, not just the minister, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So, brothers and sisters, it's not just me and Andy and Nathan that ministers to you. We're all to minister to one another. So it's not just the elders, pastors and elders, that are to pastor, you as a flock, we're all to pastor one another. You need both. Now, the church always swings uh, from one extreme to the other. Uh, the first extreme, and this was uh, in Wales in the past, is what we call clericalism. And that means all the ministry is done either by one man, the pastor, and everybody looks to the pastor to do everything, or by the pastor and paid workers. So people think of an evangelist. People don't think of 
we have a responsibility to evangelize. They only think of those who are in a position. So that's one extreme, clericalism. All the ministering is done by those who are paid or who are set apart. But then the opposite of that is anti-clericalism. And that's where all member ministry is emphasized to such a degree that there, there is no respect for the pastor and elders. Uh, some churches may not even believe in having a, ma a man or men called to preach. Now, both those things are unbiblical, right? If you read what Paul has to say here, and he develops them later in his later letters, God has called pastors and elders and other workers, I believe, to minister. But also, we're all involved in the ministry. That's why I read from Romans 12. What a beautiful illustration of the church as a body. And just as our bodies have different members, some members are more public than others, more prominent. But, you know, you need all your members to function properly. I uh, broke my toe uh, the other week. And the toe isn't a big part of the body. You can live without your toe. But my, a broken toe, how it affects the rest of the body. And so we are all parts of the body of Jesus Christ. We've all got different gifts. We've all got a place in the church. We're all to minister to one another. And let me just uh, read uh, from Ephesians, I think, Ephesians 4. And he, the risen Savior, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. I see those as in the New Testament. And some as pastors and teachers. They are still uh, with us. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For you. In the work of service. For the building of the body of Christ. So God has called people to minister his word in leadership. In order that the rest of the body might be equipped to live out the Christian life. When you realize that, it's quite radical. Because I envy uh, some of you, because I'm not as much in the world as I used to be when I was a school teacher. Uh, because I've been set apart to give myself to the things of God. Now, I'm still living in the real world, I still mix with people. But I miss that interface, which I had when I was a schoolteacher. So we are all to be witnesses where God has put us. And even in the church family, we're all to minister to one another. There are people in our church, and they're not at the front. They're not paid workers, but the amount of pastoring they do is phenomenal. That's how it should be. That doesn't mean to say we shouldn't have paid workers. It's, it's keeping the balance, isn't it? Uh, there was a church, I don't know what you make of this, and it had on the newsletter the name of the pastor, and then it had the name of the assistant pastor, and then under that, ministers 
And do you know what name was after ministers? All the congregation. All the congregation. And that's why it's important that those who are ministering the word are to give themselves to prayer and the word. Because if we meet with the Lord in our preparation and the Lord uses us in our ministering, then you will be more inspired to serve the Lord where he has put you. But what we tend to find today is pastors especially being under so much pressure that everything is expected of them. Uh, there is that piece, isn't there? Uh, it's uh, done uh, tongue-in-cheek about the ideal pastor. A church is looking for an ideal pastor. And such a man, of course such a man doesn't exist, but such a man will prepare uh, every day in his study and he will also be every day visiting the people. Well, you can't have both. Uh, of course a pastor has to be in his study and a pastor is visiting. Uh, but you can't have a pastor all day in his study and all day amongst the people. Uh, an ideal pastor will be uh, amongst the elderly people and he will be uh, good with the children. Well, that's very rare to find, isn't it? But others in the congregation may have those gifts and this uh, piece goes on and on and it ends on the notes uh, the church couldn't have the ideal pastor because he died of a heart attack <laughs> it can't be a one man show well it is one man and that man is Jesus Christ the head but the head then uses all of us so let's look at the instructions here the first thing I want to say is Paul emphasizes vulnerable people. There are vulnerable people in every family, and that is true of the church. There are three groups that he identifies of vulnerable people. Now, the first is the, in the authorized version, is it idle? Warn those who are idle. Now, that's not the best translation of the word. They might be idle. Uh, but that's not uh, what Paul is talking about here. It's a military term, and it talks about a soldier who is not marching to the same tune as the rest of uh, the band of soldiers. He's determined to march out of step. So I think the New King James is very good in translating uh, these people as unruly they are disorderly. They are disruptive. They always want to do their own thing. Now, Paul has just talked about be at peace among yourselves. Now, what's the first thing in a church that disrupts the peace? It is people who are disruptive, isn't it? Now, we must be very careful here. We're not a cult. So God doesn't want us all to be clones. We are all to be ourselves, our personalities don't change when we are converted. Our personalities are refined by grace. Difference between changing someone's personality is what the cults do, and a personality being refined. So God wants you to be the person you are 
with your uh, characteristics, your personality, and that you become more Christ-like in that personality. So we're all to be ourselves, but there is a line, isn't there? And that's the line of the word of God. Just as the children of Israel were given portions in the land and they were uh, to enjoy that portion, but they couldn't cross those boundaries. So God has given us within the bounds of scripture freedom to express ourselves. But there's a line that isn't to be crossed. That's when we become disorderly. So this is the first group. Now, in the church in Thessalonica, I think it happened like this. And this is why the King James uses the word idol. There was such a view of the second coming. Remember when we looked at that, that genuine believers thought that Christ was going to come back anytime soon. So what did they do? They said, there's no point working. It sounds good, doesn't it? There's no need for a Monday morning. <laughs> no need for the rush hour. Jesus could come back tomorrow. So what are we doing? We're just going to sit back. And they weren't just sitting back. They had so much time on their hands, they were going around. And they were being busy bodies. Paul uses the term in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. We'll come to that, God willing, when we look at 2 Thessalonians. So they were being disruptive. They were constantly bothering other believers who are trying to get on with their lives. Let, let me read how uh, these people are uh, unruly. Uh, Paul urges in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, that such who are busybodies do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So we're all allotted a place in the kingdom, aren't we? And we're just to get on contentedly, quietly, with serving the Lord because he's not a harsh taskmaster and we're not to be constantly looking at other believers. Remember uh, when Peter was called and recommissioned by Christ after he denied him? Uh, Peter saw John and what did he say to Jesus? Lord, what about that one? What about him? What did Jesus say to Peter? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Follow thou me. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there's, there's a good uh, example in one of the commentaries. One of the commentators, he was a professor in uh, Bible college. And uh, he uh, had a student come to his office uh, because uh, this uh, student uh, was going to fail his grades. Uh, in, I can't remember in what subject, in some Bible colleges they study uh, all sorts of subjects, not just theology. And this student was a Christian and he tried to get uh, the uh, lecturer, the writer of the commentary, to understand, I'm a believer like you and I'm out most nights with the Christian Union, I'm taking the Bible study every week, I'm out evangelizing every week. Can't you just improve my grades? And the lecturer very wisely said, you are here to study. And you are a bad witness to Jesus Christ if you're using your Christian union work as an excuse not to study. And he quoted some of the verses I've mentioned. And thankfully, that student had a change of hearts. 
Students, you're here to study. Yes, get involved in Christian Union. It will be the best years of your life, hopefully. And you've got opportunities to serve the Lord, to read good Christian books you may not have as much of again. But if that interferes so much with your studies that it's dragging you down, you must prioritize your studies. As Christians, God doesn't just say in the fourth commandment, one day in seven you shall keep holy. That's half of it. Do you know there's a command to work? Six days shalt thou work. Now, we mustn't be pernickety and insist that people work six days. And it's not just referring to employment. But we are here in this world to work, to serve God. Uh, I, had, uh, I was in St. Melons last week, and they had the former, former pastor still in the congregation there. And I think he was the one who said to me that a Christian doesn't retire in that sense. You know what I mean, don't you? You may retire from a formal job, but it's just retiring as you retire a car for further mileage. It's just carrying on, doing something for the Lord. Isn't that an exciting way to view our Christian life? What has God got in store for me now? Maybe I'm not as active in one area because I'm getting frailer, but the Lord may be calling me, I don't know, to a ministry of prayer, a ministry of intercession. There are all sorts of different ways we can serve in the church. So Paul is firstly telling us to look out for a vulnerable group of people who are just disorderly, and we're to tell them, um, don't be busybodies, just get on with your work. We're all here together to work. The next group, encourage, comfort the faint-hearted. What group are these? Faint-hearted. Small of soul is the word in the original. Timid is another word. Discouraged. Having lost hearts. We know the kind of people, don't we? You've got them in Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan was a pastor, wasn't he? As many of the Puritans were, physician of souls. You had Mr. Fearing in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I don't know if some of the people in Thessalonica, because of the false teaching on Christ's second coming, they were so worried for those that had died in the Lord and had gone uh, to glory that they thought they were missing out when Christ was going to come back again and they were grieving as those without hope. These were people that were crushed and I don't have to look far here tonight to find people who may have come in here uh, burdened by the pressures of this world. It's a stressful world, isn't it? And we can be crushed with the cares of this life. Now, this is the kind of vulnerable person that we're thinking of. And we probably, at some point or other, have all been through that. What does Paul say? What are we to do with them? Do we go up to them and say to them, pull yourself together? Never. Never, never say that to a person who is crushed. 
You may need to say that to the unruly, <laughs> but if a person is faint-hearted, do you know what they need? They need encouragement. The word in the original for encouragement has two uh, words put together. Para, you get alongside and you speak. You get alongside and you speak. You don't speak words uh, that will bring them down. You speak words of comfort. Uh, Wearsby is very good here. He says, instead of scolding the faint-hearted from a distance, that's easy to do, isn't it? We must get close to them and speak tenderly. Speak tenderly. Even the Mr. Great Hearts in the church, they're big-hearted because I think they've been through the pressures of this life. And they can empathize then with people who are under pressure and going through uh, the trials and the tribulations. We remember one Christian, Dombey, who was uh, praying to the Lord, Lord, give me more patience. And the Lord gave him the verse in Romans 5, tribulation worketh patience. And it was through difficulties that that man came to be more patient. Uh, think of Barnabas. I don't think that was his original name. That was the nickname he was given. What does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. What a nickname to have. He must have been quite something, Barnabas. I can imagine uh, Paul, after preaching somewhere, uh, when he had Barnabas as his companion. You know what preachers are like after preaching. I hope you do. They're often just shaking their heads, thinking they've failed. Uh, I, re I remember hearing about John Marshall once. He'd been preaching somewhere in the southwest, and he was groaning all the way back. They feel like Elijah. And I can imagine Barnabas just getting alongside Paul and just strengthening him. Uh, think of Jonathan. Jonathan, as Nathan has been looking at in the Bible studies, when David was running away from Saul, when David was toxic, Jonathan didn't uh, avoid him, but he got alongside him. And there's a lovely description of Jonathan strengthening David's hand in the Lord. It's as if uh, our hand is trembling because we are faint and another holds our hand and enables us to carry on. Oh, my brothers and sisters, may we be those who attend with those who are small of soul and of hearts. You, you can tell with a person's body language, can't you? Uh, after a service, if you're asking a person, uh, how are they? And... <sighs> Even if they say, okay, okay has so many different meanings, doesn't it? If by their body language they're telling you they're not okay, uh, don't say praise the Lord. <laughs> Just get alongside. You don't have to say anything sometimes. Just put an arm around them. I, re I remember one minister doing that uh, to a member that had really gone through a terrible trial. They didn't say anything to the person. They just put their arm around the person to make them aware that they were with them. We have a saviour, don't we, who is like that. A greater than Jonathan. 
Jesus Christ. Jonathan was a type of him. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He will not break you. He will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. Let's hurry. There's a third group. Hold fast to the weak. What's the difference between the weak and the faints? Well, possibly these people had disabilities. They could have been physically weak. I need to say that because it's International Disabilities Day today. So there are people in our church, in other churches, that will be physically weak. I'm thinking especially of the ministry of Casamia in Moldova. And what a blessing to have the people in the houses be accepted in the local churches. That's a huge thing for Moldova. And we, we will have people with chronic conditions and they, they just need encouragement, don't they? I don't know how some people manage who have pain day in, day out. And other people may have sorrows of the mind. Oh, my friends, let us, let us not despise such people. The church should be a safe environment for such. Uh, I'm reminded of some people I've heard of who have found refuge in our church and in other churches because the world wouldn't accept them. Isn't that a lovely testimony to the church? That, that we're in a Dulem's cave, like David when he was out in the farthest part of the wilderness, when it seemed as if King Saul was about to snuff him out, David found refuge in a Dulem cave, and there gathered to him were all in the land who were afflicted by Saul. Come, all poor, weak, lame, stumble. Isn't this the Christmas message uh, as well? What do we do with such? We hold them. We hold them. Uh, that's what it means to help. Hold on to them. Support them. They, because of their weakness, may not be able to do that. Uh, I'm not just thinking of the physical weakness, but the sorrows of the mind. It's often not a spiritual problem. It will have spiritual effects but it's like the mind getting ill. And such people, they will read their Bibles. They may not be able to read their Bibles. Don't scold them for that. And they will read of promises and they will think that promise isn't for me. And they will read of uh, judgments in the Bible and they will be convinced that those judgments are for them. And you just need to be gentle. We all need to be gentle with such people, don't we? Hold them up. Uh, here's one uh, commentator. The weak need to feel that they are not alone. And strong Christians should hold on to them and give them the support they need. And I think also it refers to uh, the weak in faith. The weak in faith. There are, there are people who are struggling. Uh, there are people maybe here tonight who have an I don't know, you may have an addiction problem. You, you may have an infirmity, not a sin, but an infirmity that drags you down. Oh, how we need to be there for such people. You know, the ancient world, Greco-Roman society, they trod upon the weak. You weren't allowed to be weak. 
It was worse than today's society. I think the Greco-Roman world, babies were abandoned under bridges, thrown into rivers. They despised weakness. Not like that in the church. How radical the church was. Accepting such people with open arms. And we could say the weaker brothers as well. The weaker brothers. Every church has weaker brethren. There are people who are genuinely saved and yet they are still bound to rules and regulations. We must bear with them. Now then, th those are the three groups and time is going and I think it's gone because we've got communion <laughs> and uh, we need time to come around the Lord's table. But I know a congregation of this size is going to contain a mix of different believers. We're all going to have struggles, aren't we? Uh, we're all at some uh, stage in following the Lord. I, I was uh, driving once to church and the car in front of me had a quote uh, on it, on the window, on the um, back window. And it's not a Puritan, right? It's Robin Williams, the actor. And the quote said, be kind to people. Be kind to people you meet because you don't know what struggles they may be having. Let me quote something better. Could we bear from one another what Jesus daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us though we treat him thus though for good we render ill he accounts us brethren still look to our savior the gentle meek savior this is what caused the early church a group of nobodies in an upper room a hundred or so by the end of the first generation, they had turned the Roman world upside down. And they didn't have resources. They didn't have an army. It was the power of Christ, the power of love, the power of grace. And one Roman emperor had to say, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. And may Jesus Christ conquer this city through the same power working in us, for his name's sake. Uh, let's sing together now. Uh, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. Can, can we sing this to the chorus? Uh, there's, a, there's a chorus to it, isn't there? Oh, how I love the Saviour's name. Do you know it to the chorus? The sweetest name on earth. It's 156.
Let us say together the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.